BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome everyone to The Promised Land, a show about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. What a game we have to talk about, Rob, Manchester United getting a 2-2 draw in Barcelona in the Europa League. Last 32 qualifying round for the last 16. Not even the last 32, is it? It's the playoff round for the last 16. This it's, match this match was, it was, I'm not overstating it, but this match was brilliant, wasn't it? Absolutely. It belonged in the Champions League. Absolutely brilliant between two of the form sides in Europe. You know, I think what Barcelona have achieved in La Liga, like last week, we kind of downplayed it a bit and asked the question, how good are they really? And kind of went through that that narrative and talked about it. And I think we can say the same thing about Man United. How good really are Man United? Well, you saw in the Camp Nou last night how good this Man United team is now and can be tomorrow. So uh, I said she didn't lie just off camera. You know, when Ten Hag got interviewed, it was so telling because they stuck the camera in his face and he looked like a beaming, proud father, like this chest out, big, big, cheesy grin. And of course, you could talk about all the good stuff like, yes, it should have been a red card. Oh, we gave the goals away. It wasn't very good that, but we played so well. We controlled the game, something that he said a few times. And I think Man United did control the game against the Barcelona team who have been imperious in the Camp Nou this season, absolutely untouchable in their own stadium. I think last night, one of the big stats we heard was that they hadn't conceded a goal in open play at, at the Camp Nou this season. In the league. Crazy. Lately. But Bayern that's crazy. Scored three there this yeah, season. they've conceded seven goals and uh, and not one of them's from open play. So I think, you know, I think they were surprised by United's performance in many ways last night. You think about the players United were, were missing... Martinez more at the back, Martial at the top end. United were weakened as well, but you wouldn't have known it. The work rate, the counter-press, Man United are now a valid counter-pressing football team. And we said six months ago, that's where they needed to be. And that is where they are now. So congratulations to the lads. Yeah, it wasn't a victory, but they should have won. And you feel good about going into the future. This is how Man United are going to try and play their football. It's about philosophy, Scott. The philosophy is correct. We need to stick with it and keep pushing it. That is Rob Blanchett, by the way. I'm Scott Saunders. Have not introduced ourselves just yet. Uh, but if you listen regularly, I'm sure you can tell the difference between our They voices. know who we are. They know they? who we are. Yeah. Uh, subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts on Google, Apple, Spotify, etc. I think we're slowly climbing up the charts. Get us as high as you can. Uh, you can watch us now twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays, 
and on YouTube as well, we do a video recording. So if you would like to watch us talk instead of just listen, uh, hit the like button. Come over to that channel, the Promise Land of Manchester United podcast. Subscribe to the channel, join the community, leave a comment with us as well. And uh, we will do our very best to look at the comments and call them out in future shows. Uh, the link should be in the description of this episode if you're listening on an audio platform. And you can follow us on Twitter as well for more ramblings. Uh, Scott, uh, underscore Scott Saunders, underscore Rob, underscore B, and at Promise Land MU for the show's Twitter as well. Today we'll be talking all about the Barcelona game because it was a it was brilliant. Uh, I mean, we we spoke off camera, Rob, about how it made you feel as a mm. fan. We'll come back to that in a second, but we'll talk about a bit about Wout Weghorst, uh, a bit about Frankie De Jong, who could have been playing on the other side, uh, but ended up becoming a passenger. It seemed uh, against the team that he didn't end up joining last season. We'll talk ownership stuff because there's a soft deadline to get opening bids in on Friday night. And we record this on Friday morning. And then Leicester visit Old Trafford on Sunday. So there's a bit of a comparison Rob would like to do between Madison and Bruno Fernandes. But yes, let's jump back to the Barca game. Because I thought, that United would get a draw. Like, I kind of went into this game confident that United would draw. I, I think I predicted 1-1 because I thought there were there are areas that we can hurt Barcelona because Marcus Rashford is just... He's not even in the notes to talk about today. It's just for a formality nowadays that he scores goals. Uh, brilliant goal for him. Uh, was a threat all night. Wasn't the only one either. Um, but I went into it expecting a draw. And I think it's a sign of progress really that most fans have come away from it disappointed that United didn't win uh, I know Barcelona had a flurry of chances at the end they hit the post and that kind of thing but that was when the in in stadiums like that you're going to get moments of panic and this kind of thing but in, in general play I think United had a game plan and they used it absolutely effectively and they gave up soft goals you mm-hmm. know that that <laughs> defending from a corner at the back post, letting someone go is just some. That's a trait that we've seen that United used to have. That it, you can't fix everything straight away. And then the other, their equalizer was, it was avoidable as well. But let's focus on the positives <laughs> for once. It's been ten years we've been focusing on the negatives. Let's look at the positives. <laughs> Take it away, Rob. Yeah, look, the goals were not good. We know that. You're right. And, you know, like you said, that back post issue, again, I've done a thousand tactical shows about why Man United give goals away at the back post. Well, maybe, Fred, just follow your man. No goal happens. That's the end of that. But like you said, those things do take time to iron out on a training ground. The stuff that we're seeing from Man United in terms of their identity and what they're trying to do in football matches is just like night and day from previous examples. So a few people had a rib at me on Twitter about, I said something like, it's good to see the boys playing for the badge. Like this is probably the best that they've done that in 10 years. People went, oh, but didn't you say that about Solskjaer? And it's like, but I compare this performance a little bit to United's nights in the Parc de France against PSG. When we kind of went there and did a number on them, the difference between that and now is that back then, that was like an anomaly, a wild anomaly. Like, you go there and you probably shouldn't have done that. United went to the Camp Nou last night and they knew what they were going to do. And they were like, bring it, Barcelona. 
because we will match you and we'll outwork you and we'll outcount. Just in, done an impression of the rock. I, I, yeah. I should have done it like that and got a better <laughs> shot, shouldn't I? You know, and can you smell what Ten Hag is cooking? Yes, you can. So I think when you look at the game and you look at how Man United are setting up now in matches, they are totally challenging opposition to say to you, right, we're going to do this today. Can you can you beat us on your own pitch? Let's see what we can do. And they take that into every game. And I think that that is the big win in terms of Ten Hag and taking over is that he's instilled this confidence into the team. Yeah, like you said, the two goals were bad. Eventually, you sort those issues out. You know, I think we mentioned again off camera a little bit about Liverpool, maybe in year one, year two with Klopp. And they were a little bit like that. Like they were doing these outward things really nice. And you were like, oh, they're dangerous. But you know, they concede goals. Man United were still a little bit like that. However, a year or two on, they were a winning team. They were a team challenging for trophies and moving forward. That's why I feel we are with United. And this is a Man United where we are nowhere near perfect. Like the squad is not perfect. There's lots of fractured bits in it. And there's lots of issues within, say, the top players still doing things they shouldn't do. But you just mentioned Marcus Rashford. I'm going to call him now Marcus Ballon d'Or. Because who is better than Marcus Rashford in world football at the moment? He does everything. He plays the nine. He plays wide. He runs channels. He does all the counter-pressing hard work. He just seems to be on a level that... I don't think anyone could have imagined him to be. And Barcelona looked at him last night and thought, what is this? What is this bloke literally ripping our defence to shreds? Do, do you know what? I, uh, Harry's putting some comments in. Uh, I, I could imagine, I, I, I thought when you said that, if Harry's listening to this, producing the show, then that's going to make his blood boil. And he's just Hashtag, in... <laughs> hashtag Marcus Ballon d'Or. Get used to it. It's coming. So I think Marcus Rashford's the best player in the world at the moment. And I don't take say that lightly. I really don't. I always think these grand statements don't mean a lot. But I look at the form book and I think, would I get rid of Marcus tomorrow for any other player than the top end of a pitch? You know, Harry's here. Would I get rid of him for Gabriel Jesus or Enketia? No, thank you. I'm happy with Marcus. So I think with what Marcus is doing, I think we're seeing the birth of Marcus Rashford, the number nine. I think we might see that going forward a lot more this season because it needs must, because Anthony Martial only has one leg. We know this. But I, th I think the whole thing about uh, Marcus is that he doesn't really care if he's on the left or if he's in the middle. He's just like, this is me. This is what I do. He scored his goal from the channel down the right last night. He scored, he scored pretty much all his goals from wider areas coming inside. But what we've seen now with Marcus Rashford is that he loves to tap in. He knows what to do there now. So completely different human being, not the one that we knew last year or even before that. Um, again, sleep on Marcus. I'm happy for it. People don't rate him. They go, oh, he's not top top level. We're seeing that he is. I think every I would, week we're I seeing would like that development. to say... I put Marcus Rashford in my fantasy team for six million at the very start of the season. Six million or six point five million. And I was like, he's coming. I'm and telling you, he's coming. That's why you you were a little bit ahead of me in fantasy football. In I am again now. Are you? I thought you were yeah, slightly had, behind me again. I, I was, but then I had Rico Lewis as a starter. He didn't get a minute and I had Almiron come off the bench. <laughs> the ten week. points from Almiron this week. Mm -hmm. I know he was on my bench. He didn't come off my bench. Anyway, we digress. But no, I just think the whole thing that with the Barcelona game really is a litmus test, I think, about the Man United project and where we are. This is why now we talk about the new ownership and maybe the change of hands and all of this. It's why I'm kind of a little bit nervous because, like, don't rock the boat when things are going yeah. well. That's a problem. 
But no doubt that I think that one, two, three transfers in the summer definitely elevate you into title contending status now. Now, I didn't feel that at the start of the season. I was like, well, it might be, it might not. But you feel that now. And I think when you look through the spine of that team, you know, I don't like Luke Shaw at left centre back. I don't. It's, he's so much better on the left, on the uh, playing left back. And I think we saw that last night with Malassia. I think if Luke Shaw had been there, I think Man United win this game. I really do, because you get that pressure going forward and more quality. There's so many little kind of nooks and crannies that Man United just still need to solve. But I trust Ten Hag to do that. Well, Rob, being the young man that I am, I made a TikTok last night and I said <laughs> on it, I think United, it's very encouraging because United are only probably a third of the way through their rebuild. Is that fair? Third of the way? I think I think we're only five minutes into it. Like this is the start. Like this is the whole yeah. point. Like like we talk about you talk about how you build over transfer windows and you talk about teams being dominant for six, seven years. If Man United want to be that team that are in the conversation for six or seven years, this is minute one of the rebuild. Like it really is. So this is the earliest point of can this can this team press? That was like the first question. And it's like, can this team pass was the first question. And there's still a little bit like, you know what I mean? Like they have their days. They have moments where they look really good on the ball. But we talk about that a lot about giving the ball away. And that is a problem that you need to solve. But this is still the earliest part of this rebuild. Eric Ten Hogs had one transfer window. One. It's nothing. You know, Nottingham Forest had one transfer window and bought 28 players. So, like United have got this to come, that you've got to kind of work through the motions. They've given a Wambasaka a chance. Aaron Wambasaka's gone. You don't need to spend fifty million pound on a backup right back. I can at least play. Well, they already football did now. with him. <laughs> well, they did with him, but that was Ole, so it doesn't count. But uh, <laughs> but that's the whole that's the whole thing about this, isn't it? Is that you do need to buy new players, but you can't always buy your way out of problems. Sometimes you have to coach the way out, get get through them with what you've got. I think that's the forward. big thing. I think that's the hmm. big thing, right? In terms of being resourceful, having an identity, having a style, having an idea, and this, there's a you mentioned Luke Shaw at centre back there. That is, there was a moment where I think in the first half where Robert Lewandowski got the better of him and a, a chance came out of it, and I thought, oh, maybe Lisandro Martinez wouldn't have had that happen to him. Hmm. Uh, but ten, what Ten Hag is doing, I know he's obviously spent money. United have overspent on players this season, mm. um, namely Anthony. I think everybody agrees with that. But you can see that even in Anthony's absence, it does leave a little bit of a gap. So what Ten Hag is having to do, he had seven players out last night via suspension or injury. And Ten Hag is having to be resourceful and clever and move the jigsaw or move the pieces around a little bit. Mm. So you got Marcus Rashford playing as a nine, you got Bruno Fernandes on the right. You got Luke Shaw at left centre back, and you got Val Veghorst at ten. I know you love this, Rob. So go on. I don't love it. Like I think we said on the last show, it's not your ideal scenario that you're trying to become a world class team, a title challenging team, a team that wins trophies, and your number ten is Big Val. But Val Veghorst. In these little kind of window of what we've seen in this game and the previous game and those small minutes that he's done this, has played the 10 more effectively in the counter press than any other player this season. Now, people will go, oh, my God, he hates Bruno Fernandes. This is what this is about. He must, like, hate on Bruno every day of the week. No, but 
you need a number 10 that works with the eight and works with the striker in the counter press because it's four, one, five. Those five have got to work together. Last night, we saw that work almost to perfection, really did. So they give their bodies up, both Fred and Val. And again, I'm not an advocate of Fred. You know this, don't you? Like it's, everyone knows that. But they gave their bodies up and they worked the position so that other creative players can do stuff. That means Bruno can get the ball on the right a bit more safely. means Marcus can get the ball up top. Sancho on the left, who I thought was all right last night. Like, not a lot of impact, but did have enough impact. He's coming, like, he's, like, it's not there with him yet, but you have confidence that, that there's days. signs, right? There's, there's certain signs. I mean, he, he had a chance to score that he should have took before Barcelona scored. He, he, he's getting in the correct positions. He's playing the counter-press himself much better than he was before he was out the team, obviously before he went to the Netherlands and went on this tra- training regime that Ten Hag put him on. Um, and, and that's good because you saw that and you thought, well, if he's getting better and can do it in the Camp Nou, he probably can go and do it in the Premier League on a wet Wednesday night. Yeah, so that's kind of what you're hoping, that the progression is there. But the thing about Veghorst is that, yeah, I, I'm not an advocate of him being the long-term number 10. <clears throat> but I think if you want to play counter-pressing football, you need a number 10 that's unselfish. You don't need a number 10 that needs any glory. You need a number 10 that joins the dots. And you need a number 8 that joins the dots. So Fred and, and Val, I think that's probably the best combination of 8-10 play I've seen from United last this season. And again, that is not a pop at Bruno. I think Bruno is better on the right because he's got more time. He can read the game a little bit more. And the big thing, of course, that I always talk about Bruno is that he gives the ball away far too much. And if you give the ball away in the centre circle, you get punished. And if you give the ball away on the right wing, you don't get punished. It's as simple as that. That's football. So I, I think we've got to give Val credit because I thought he is just he's just one of these players that's coming to the team and yes he's a bit ugly like you that, use that, that is word. my thing that is my thing with him I mean beautiful footballers <laughs> don't always pay the bills yeah you've got to have a mix you've got to have a bit of flair and a bit of function and he is obviously the function like he's never yeah. going to be the flair he had one really good chance last night and from a pass from Bruno Fernandes which from... split the defense open Exactly. And that's what Bruno can do. Like if Bruno has got the palette in front of him, I'm sure that he can get the canvas and paint the pretty picture. He's done it loads. But when you need the five yard pass in the middle of the park, you just need to think with this. Hello, Marcus pointing there. Marcus does this because he's saying I've worked it out. Bruno needs to work it out there. Bruno needs to go short five yard ball. Don't need to do anything mad. And that's what the best central midfielders do. And the best number tens do is they play it simple when it needs to be. And then they are expansive when they can be. So Bruno needs to get that mix right. But that's why the 10 is an issue. And I think that Valt does that. He actually just puts it on the deck and gives it to a, an, someone else to be able to do that. And Bruno did that, obviously, with that passing to him. He should score, shouldn't he? But good save from Testagen. Decent save, but maybe on a, on another night, you know, Mbappe probably scores that. We understand, but not big Val. But I think he's done really well at number 10. And this is why he starts every game. People are like, why does he start? Why does he start? Come on. Do you think you he, know starts he starts in a world where all, let's say, Sabitzer, Martial and Anthony are fit? I don't think he starts in a world where the whole squad is fit. Yeah. So everyone is cooking. Everyone is fit. Not really. I don't think he then starts. I think in this situation, this scenario, with, with what's really happening with Martial, I think that's the biggest dictating point. But I also think that Man United's ball retention in the centre of the park is still their huge weakness. 
So that is an issue why, why you have a player like him in there to be able to win the ball back, intercept, lay it off. I think that's why he's playing. That's why we're seeing all these minutes. But I also think we shouldn't be surprised by that. Like, he's doing a functional part of the game. Do you know what I mean? That we need in there. Sabitza, I think, is an interesting one because I think Sabitza will probably be the eight. That's the way I look at this, is that if Casemir is a six, you need a functional, maybe more expansive number eight. Credit to Fred. First kind of 50 minutes, hour, absolutely awful again. And then he's the guy that plays the assist to Marcus, isn't he? He gets the ball, slides Marcus in through the defence. Really good pass. Marcus takes one touch, beats Tesh Dagan on the near post. So I think Sabitza, for the rest of the season, will probably function as the eight, as there's no Ericsson because he's a better passer of the ball. He's got a motor. His metrics in the first games are really good, actually. We've been doing our homework on him. It's done really well considering he doesn't know the team. And then you've got to think about what you do at number 10. So that's something I think for the managers to sort out. But he's got options. There's a quote from Fred, which I'm sure everyone's heard before. As I just said, regardless of scoring, I want to help my teammates. I want to carry the piano on the pitch for them to score and help the team. Which I think sums up his role. It does. He's a role player and that's what he does. You're not expecting Fred to do what Anthony does and curl it in the top corner. There isn't the same pressure. Do you know what I mean? So I think with Fred is that he's limited but you are in a in a kind of scenario of limitation. Like you've you've really got him or, or McTominay to kind of fill those minutes when McTominay comes back. Um, I think the thing is with Fred, again, a little bit like Bruno, his ball retention is an issue. And in the centre of the park, if you give the ball away, good teams will hurt you. Bad teams won't because they won't make the most of it. But if you give the ball away to, I don't know, an Odegaard in the centre of the pitch or a player like that or James Madison... James Madison will punish you, which is obviously a nice segue to later on because we're playing Leicester. So United still must make sure that ball retention is there. I think last night, Scott, against Barcelona, that was the issue for me. It was like, well, you give Barcelona the ball, you're in trouble. But if you do your work and push that on them, then you're in control. And I think that's how the game actually went. Yeah, I'm trying to... I've just found it, actually. Um, I saw Carl Anker tweet last night. Hmm. Had a nice comment in a match piece that said Fred is good when he ha- he has to disrupt the midfield, but he's bad when that midfield knows how to disrupt yours. <laughs> Which is another, yeah, it's another good point. It's a really good way of putting it. And I think that's the issue with Fred is his outward game is the issue. It, like, when he has to go in there and fight, yeah, he's a puncher. Like he's got a puncher's chance of beating any other midfielder. You know, he was in he was in there last night up against Frankie, you know, the blessed Frankie de Jong. Well, Frankie's where we're going next. So, um, uh, it, you know... And Frankie didn't really enjoy it, did he? Well, I'm sure he did. He loves playing for Barcelona. You know? Well, it's sunny. It's sunny <laughs> and it's warmer, you know, and it doesn't rain as much and all of that. Frank, I got a tweet ready. If if United beat Barcelona <laughs> next week, be like, I'm not going to, I haven't written it yet, but in my head, it's like, come on, Frankie, you surely want some of this, right? You know, it's just. <sighs> He just didn't look right, did he? I think th- there's a lot of concern I see in Barcelona. I know he's had a lot of praise recently, Frankie Dion. I don't watch him religiously in, in Spain. He's had a lot of praise for how he's been playing recently. Mm. Busquets was obviously missed the game last night, and he played as the six. And like we say, didn't really enjoy the game at all. And I'm seeing criticism for him again, because he was a passenger in that game last night. I think he wasn't really very effective at all. And... 
there's suggestions that Barcelona are looking at the likes of Ruben Neves and other players to kind of come in and fill that role long term as maybe Busquets leaves in the summer, goes to mm. Qatar or the Middle East or MLS or somewhere. And Barcelona are still in financial difficulty. They, they're going to need to sell someone. And as far as I know, and this is kind of what I've been told, the door's always, always open for Frankie Dion. And Eric Ten Hag has spoke ahead of the game in glowing terms about him. This one ain't over yet, I don't think. Well, Eric Ten Hag said before the game, you know, Frankie Dion makes any team better. You know, it didn't last like, night. Yeah, you know, and, and and you know, didn't make Barcelona better, did he? As you said, um, I think the thing is with Frankie Dion is that people see him and it's like again his roles, his multiple roles, six, eight, ten. Where does he play? What's his best role? What does he prefer to do? They were talking on the commentary last night on uh, on B two and going back looking at it about uh, about how he's he's just a better number six, isn't he? And I just cannot disagree more. <laughs> like yeah, Paul, I think Owen Hargreaves said one point, which is the one we agree with, and then Paul Scholes said something after. I think he's happier in the six, and I was like, no, there's, what? There's, there was there's a ton of conjecture. Uh, on, on some of the some of the analysis, I think of that because it was kind of a bit like why United playing Bruno right? Well, I think there was obvious reasons for that. Why is Marcus through the middle? I think there's reasons for that. Frankie De Jong, oh yeah, Frankie prefers to play the six. I'm not sure you watch Frankie De Jong. Sorry if that's what you think. Frankie is a better eight, and I think he likes to come from that kind of new position or that six eight. Yeah, he likes to be able to get the ball deep and then have the option to either pass. Or dribble. He's a much better dribbler of the ball than people ever give him credit. Yeah, he really absolutely. is. He's, but yeah. I, I think that that's where maybe profile-wise, we talk about Man United, where him and Ericsson kind of match. Number 10 sensibilities, yeah, outwardly, being able to keeping the ball, moving the ball, passing the ball, but having the brain to run the midfield and do that. Now, what happened last night, I think, with Frankie, and you're saying forced to play the six last night, is that United's midfield could counter-press on him push as high up on him as they can. And we're like, if you lose the ball here, even to one of your teammates, we're going to punish you. Of course, there is nobody who knows Frankie De Jong better and how to (laughs) make him look bad, probably, than Eric Ten Hag. Than our manager. So this is the whole thing. So I I think the thing is that Frankie De Jong is is a wonderful midfielder in the right system. And I do think that... Do you know, I don't know what you thought about this last night, watching Barcelona and Xavi's Barcelona that it looks like they're playing a style of football like Back to the Future. This is like the same setup tactically as what Xavi played in with Iniesta, right? The difference is that they are Xavi and Iniesta. <laughs> That's the yeah, difference. Yeah, I agree, yeah. yeah. So they're trying to do those things. And obviously it works in La Liga against poor opposition. I think Man United showed last night that they don't fit into that category because they can counter-press you really high. And they are better on the ball than they were, say, six months ago, a year ago. So Frankie De Jong, I think, struggles in that number six against a counter-pressing team because you want Frankie De Jong to have a little bit of space and a little bit of time and to be able to get his chin up, look left, look right, and make the right pass. Man United did not give him that. So I kind of think he fits our team better than he fits their team. So if he was in our team, I think if we were playing Casemiro and Frankie De Jong... said all year, right? Hello. That's what you would love, isn't it? So I wouldn't like Frankie to be our number six. And again, I've said this over many, many months. Uh, when but we were going there, for him... Maybe there will be a game where Frankie can be the six. Of course. You know? 
Of course, it's a bit like Fred. Fred can be the six. It's just you don't want to see it. You know, it, 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 this is how the game works. Casemiro can play the eight, but he's better being a, a modern number six. So these are the things. Players have better positions across the park. It's just when you're forced to do it, can you do it to the you know, the highest level all the time? I think that's the issue with Frankie de Jong. So very interesting. Let's see what he does. Let's hope he doesn't maul us at Old Trafford when he comes to the other leg, because I think he might even play a little bit further forward. Don't know what the situation is. Busquets, Busquets back. He might, yeah. Yeah, I think Busquets, I think Barcelona will not be more conservative at Old Trafford, but I think they will try and play the counter-press a little bit more. They might, might not feel the, the pressure to go out there and, you know, show that they're one of the best teams in Europe. What they'll try and do is nick the game 1-0, and that's enough, isn't it? You win 1-0, game over, you're through. Um, and I think Frankie Dion might play a more expansive role, obviously because those two young marvels that they've got in the centre of the pitch, Barcelona, are suspended for the next match. What I will say is uh, next Thursday has the ability to be one of those nights under the... I know it's a Europa League qualifying for the last 16 round, but I think mm. you kind of just got that feeling last night, United versus Barcelona. It's just, it is a big game, just in the wrong context, wrong competition. But I think Old Trafford will be loud. I think I'll be going up there. I'm excited. Uh, and that could be the night. I'm not sure how everyone feels to Frankie de Jong. You make enough, enough noise and you blow them away and try and convince Frankie de Jong that this is a magical place to play. Yeah, or or you beat Barcelona, dump Frankie out, and then say to Frankie, we're not interested in you anymore. We're going to buy another midfielder. Or there's that as well, yeah. Because I think that's actually more likely. <laughs> so I think the thing is that Frankie would be brilliant at Man United. I'm not quite sure if he would be brilliant in the Premier League. That's a different question. I think that there are there are issues for him in terms of on the deck and where you'd want him. To- Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You're receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome and if you think the fun stops there the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store check out daily promotions same game parlays live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. To play, But if you were going to play Frankie as a creator and playing towards the top end of the pitch in a kind of more 8-10 function, I think that works for me. I think I kind of look at him and I think, He's, he's blessed. He's got kind of genius-like qualities. Maybe not the greatest fighter. Like, I don't see that in his game. I don't know if he's a kind of force of nature. But I do think that if he's got good players around him, that he becomes better. So Man United are doing that now. I think Casemiro, Frankie de Jong, yes, very tasty. But I also think Casemiro plus 20 other midfielders in Europe, also very tasty. That could work very well for Man United come next season. 2-2, the scoreline. Uh, United go back to Old Trafford next Thursday. I'd imagine it'd be noisy. Uh, and going into a cup final, it'd be a hell of a result if, and a hell of a shot in the arm if they can get over the line and dump Barcelona out of Europe. But we'll move on. Uh, in between those games, 
we'll do the ownership at the end. Uh, in between those games, Leicester come to Old Trafford. Mm. Uh, they have they did obliterate Spurs last week. Although, although I did speak to a Spurs fan yesterday, and he said they do still leave a lot of space for United to exploit, and that was more of a case of Spurs being absolutely terrible than Leicester yeah. being brilliant. Uh, but still, Leicester are not the Leicester team that we saw in the first six months of the season. They, they look like they're on the right track again. And this is a banana skin. This one. Big time. I've watched a lot of Leicester for work in the last few weeks and also interested as a fan just to see what we're going to come up against at Old Trafford. And this is a banana skin, potentially, no doubt about it. I think that they've they've fixed a lot of the things that we saw at the start of the season that were wrong. <clears throat> I do think that Brendan Rodgers had his hands tied because he got loads of injuries, didn't he, from back to front, really ripped the heart and soul out of the team, and they were just useless. They weren't very good at all. Um, <clears throat> I think the core thing here with, with Leicester, and the bit that scares me, and I'll be honest about this, is that if they can get James Madison with any kind of room in the midfield they can beat you. So James Madison can find that space at number 10. Madison's economics of being able to move the ball and also be a goal threat himself, like an incredible goal threat for number 10. This is this is a tough one for United because you're going to have to be defensively perfect against this lot because they've got they've got players coming into form, you know, kind of Barnes as well, up the, up the top end of the pitch, they've sorted it out in the centre-forward position. They've got enough to really hurt you in a way that a puncher can. You know, they can, it's a puncher's chance, haven't they, at Old Trafford? So if United play their best game, then I think you beat Leicester. But there's enough doubt in my mind to think, right, I'm going to this game on Sunday. What am I going to see? I still have that reservation, don't I, from years gone by of seeing all of these slip-ups at Old Trafford where you kind of go, oh, but, but I'm concerned about James Madison. I think he's a much better player than people give him credit. Yes, indeed. There was. I'm trying to think of what I was going to say next because <coughs> I didn't want to go straight into Madison versus Bruno, but we might have to because my memory, uh, my memory has just had a brief time blank. But yes, uh, you wanted to compare. I've had a. I've, yeah, I've done a Fred. Uh, you wanted to compare James Madison to Bruno Fernandez because we had a conversation off air. James Madison is in the last 18 months of his contract at Leicester. Hmm. Has rejected new deals. Uh, I think he's at 26. He feels that he has a move in him to a bigger club. And that's why I think he's going to see what comes up this summer. Yuri Tielemans is going to leave Leicester as well at the end of the season on a free transfer. Newcastle United have been interested in James Madison as well. Mm -hmm. You're an advocate for James Madison joining Man United. And why is that? I'm I'm a soft advocate for it, and I'll explain why. Because <clears throat> I think when you look at what Madison provides in terms of all the metrics, his game matches up to the way Ten Hag wants to play, which is kind of like, <clears throat> excuse me, counter pressing, quick transition, intercepting, get the ball moving, play it simple when you have to play it simple, but also have the ability to play the killer pass. So Fred, for instance, like we just said there, doesn't really have the killer pass. What does he do last night? He plays Marcus in with the killer pass. But overall, the bigger picture, you know, the bigger kind of body of work tells you that you need some sensibility in midfield and still the creativity. So I think with James Madison, again, I think we've kind of forgot about the form that he was in going into the World Cup. 
he's probably the form player in the Premier League, wasn't he, for a, a while? You know, going into that squad, he had to really win his way into that squad. And then what did Gareth Southgate do at the World Cup with him? Nothing. Didn't even use it. Called it ahead so, of time. It was never going to happen. <clears throat> never going to happen, but he was there and he earned it. So I think when you look at Madison, he's obviously had this injury, he's been out of the team, he's back in the team now. Is that when you watch him the last week or two, <clears throat> excuse me, I think he's right up there with one, as one of the best number 10s in the league because he has this kind of flat line, I would say, of abilities from number 10. So it's a broad spectrum. He knows what he has to do and he's not too showy. He's not too egotistical in the middle of the park. He still works hard, but he sees the game in a more conventional number 10 way, I would say. Like when he gets the ball, he just knows what his role is. Don't want to make this comparison. I'm going to make it a little bit David Silvery like for, 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 for City in the past. Why do I say that? Because David Silver's superpower was doing all the simple stuff like with his eyes closed. And I think Madison does the simple stuff really well. Very rarely gets dispossessed. Very rarely um, makes bad decisions just in the build-up or when you win the ball back and and finishes the ball like David Silva. David Silva gets the ball in the box like a striker, isn't he, suddenly? Hits the back of the net, scores goals. So, huge part, obviously, for that Man City success, not comparing the two players directly, but there is... There just, is we'll just say that as well, just, just before you jump <laughs> Well, that caveat, don't put it on Twitter. And, uh, the roles like, and the... the not saying James Madison is better than David. I, I once said that Fellaini could do things for Man United that Yaya Torre did, and, and eight years later, people were still retweeting it. That's the truth. Eight years later, so like I didn't oh, mean it like that. that. You need to send me that. I deleted it. I think um, <laughs> I th finally after getting it back because because I think people again took that the wrong way. It wasn't that they're the same player or that it was. It's about function in the team. Like, can you have a midfielder who has got physical power and score you some goals and get in the channel? And Torre did that. Like brilliantly, better than anyone. And Fellaini did that forever and just didn't do it at Man United because he's played as a six. Um, but looking at uh, Madison, I think if you're looking for an upgrade in the 10 and you still want to keep Bruno in the team somewhere in that front line, maybe as a false nine even. I'm going to put that out there. I think Bruno would be a brilliant false nine. You need to keep Bruno in areas where he doesn't lose the ball because he loses it way too much in there. And you need a number 10 that can still conduct the band while helping. So I like Madison. I think we're going to see that. I hope we don't see a great performance at Old Trafford from him. But I think he's a much better player than people think. I I think last year, like if you think about it, the start of last season when Jack Grealish went for £100 million and my whole thing about the Jack Grealish thing was, is he really that much better than James Madison? Really? People are like, oh, he's loads better. I don't think so. I still don't think so today. So Grealish is all right, but not for 100 million. I don't think I'd pay 100 million for Madison either. But if you could get Madison for, I don't know, maybe say 50 million plus Harry Maguire, would you do that? I'd do that. I'd take that deal. Um, playing fantasy football here now. But I think Madison's a really, really good player. I think we will see at Old Trafford some of that skill set. 50 million plus Harry Maguire. Interesting. I've got, I've got a career it. as an agent. It's there, definitely going to happen. Uh, leave a comment. How much would you pay for James Madison if you added Harry Maguire mm -hmm. into the deal? <laughs> 50 million plus Harry Maguire and Scott McTominay. I'm sure that's music to most fans' ears. I'm not sure that that's the most sensible business. I, I think that's good business. I think that's amazing. 20, 20 contract status, 20 million plus Harry Maguire. Because Harry okay, Maguire is a 30 million defender. Good. That's a very, very good point. And, and maybe if... Um, 
Like Scott McTominay has got more fans outside of Old Trafford than he has within. Yeah, that's so true. I would not be surprised that if you're looking at someone who can do the number eight function, say you're going to lose Tielemans there as well, and he's obviously out the door, that you might look at McTominay in a deal like that and say, yeah, actually we want McTominay for for Madison and a load of cash, and we'll spend the cash on another number 10, but we've now got the number eight sorted, even though we've just lost Tielemans. So there is some logic in there as well. It's not just kind of mad names being thrown out there. And I think Scott McTominay would be very good in that Leicester team. <laughs> like He'd fit the Leicester team probably more than he fits Man United's team. Just can't wait for it now. Uh, all of the headlines, they're coming. Keep an eye out. <laughs> it's, it's going to be on Twitter. Rob Blanchett says that uh, Scott McTominay is being hunted by Leicester City. I actually know, think that they in are brackets. in him. I do need to double check on something I've written, but I think they're one of the clubs that were interested in Scott McTominay and could. He Newcastle. Yeah. Newcastle are in there as well. Yeah. But... And I see why these clubs want him because, again, he gives you those kind of that sensibility in a kind of 6-8 function. Like, he can do those things. And I said to you, I think last week on our show, that I actually think he's a better number eight than Fred. People would disagree with that. But I think he gets he gets into the box more naturally because he used to be a forward years ago as a kid. Like That's, that's his game. He likes getting in the box and towards the box. So, yes, I think that Scott McTominay would have lots of takers. And could you do that deal with Madison? I take it. <laughs> I'm sure people would in the comments as well. Leave a comment if you would like. Get in touch with us on Twitter at underscore Scott Saunders at underscore Rob underscore B and at Promise and mu for the show leave a comment on youtube as well if you're watching let's uh so banana skin but i think you know no casemiro in there the midfield options are light difficult but i'm, I'm predicting a close one but maybe a, a narrow win is how i'm gonna go with it but i won't ask you for your prediction because you don't like giving them to you no I, th- I think the casemiro thing is one of the big points that you can talk about again forever but what's the point but you are better with Casemiro in the team. But it's more than about, Scott, about your midfield profile, how you make that work. How can you cope with Leicester? And and I think Leicester are, are showing they are an attacking team again. Like, that's their DNA. And Brendan Rodgers is that type of coach. Even people kind of think he's more aggressive, but he likes to get the ball in those forward areas. I think they could hurt United. I really do. I think they've got enough to, to win the game. But if United perform at their highest standard, then, of course, you should take the points. But this is going to be a trickier match and I think Man United fans give it credit. Yes, indeed. Banana skin. Let's move on to the final section of the show. It seems like it's going to be a regular fixture Mm. in the next few weeks anyway because it is the 17th of February, I believe. Mm -hmm. 17th of February. Ownership bid deadline day. Rob is, uh, if you're watching, wearing a classic green and gold shirt. A classic original green and gold, obviously the colours of the Glazer out movement. However, today's supposed to be, you know, the kind of hashtag Glazer out deadline day. I don't think it is, but we're going to talk about it. deadline day has been talked about. Yeah, this is kind of, yeah, it's like a self-styled deadline day, isn't it? It's kind of like, it's been put out there like transfer deadline day. This is the day that everyone comes forward and says they want to buy Man United for six billion quid. No, I think we'll hear obviously bits and pieces today. It's probably more of a tabloid excursion on the story. Uh, There are people who want Manchester United, but I do also think that there is a growing narrative that the Glazers themselves are just creating a lot of this kind of drama. They're the ones behind the scenes with their PR spin, trying to show that Manchester United is 
obviously the best club in the world and that they can sell it for a premium. The, the share price has shot up over the last few weeks and months due to all of this stuff. It's kind of objective proven, isn't it? Like get some hype, share price goes up. Therefore, club is now worth more money. Um, there are there are takers and I think there are some people who are supposedly takers that are not. So we're going to see a lot more, I think, now in the next few days about who really wants Manchester United. And if anyone really will match the Glazers' price, I still think that's 50-50. I'm not quite sure the Glazers are going to get their asking price from anyone, from Qatar, from Saudi, from Jim Radcliffe, from some unknown billionaire in America who owns an NFL team, you know, because there's no doubt there will be interest from that, those parties as well in the next few days. Let's see what happens. But I don't know. What do you think, Scott, as uh, someone who works in the industry as well and hears a lot? What do you think about the current state of affairs? I really don't know what to make of it. You put me on the spot a bit there, Rob. I, I mean, I, I the in me, I'm thinking it's going to go one way. And it's it seeming like the noise out of uh, the people who are interested in United from Qatar are making a big play here. There was a lot of noise around it last night that they think this is pretty much done this suggestions that you know they may they may end up putting up the most money but we've also seen suggestions that u.s investors are interested we've also seen saudi arabia back in the frame on friday as well jim ratcliffe is there qatar is there uh and there's a number of interested parties but like like you say rob i think i don't think the glazers are going to get the price that they want no. <laughs> uh and Maybe this is the, I think when we're talking about a soft deadline, I think this is just the the moment or the day where you need to declare your interest now and then mm -hmm. we'll narrow the parties down to four or five and then we'll continue working to find a deal that suits everyone. I think it's on course. I really think it's on course. We we spoke off camera, Rob, about potentially the Glazers staying in. I don't, I don't see, a, I, I don't see how that happens, to be honest. I think United are a failing business. And it reflects on them. I think the, the perfect time for them to get out is now. Uh, it's just a case of where it goes. And it might be a case of who's putting up the most money. Is it the best thing for the club? We'll see. It doesn't have to be, does it? It's, it's money talks at the end of the day. Money talks. And I also think, I, I think the whole thing with the Qatar side of this bid is that kind of we've learned more that it wasn't Qatar that went forward to Manchester United to make a bid, to make an inquiry it was the reverse. It was Manchester United with the Rain Group going forward, hunting investors and saying, would you like this out or the other? Now, we have seen, haven't we, Avram in his glory out in the Middle East, chatting away to people and talking to other fellow billionaires about the potential of selling his football club, a club that obviously he will have a major say in. There seems to be a split in the Glazer camp, from what we can tell, of what the Glazer brothers and what the Glazer family actually really want. Uh, a kind of um, some kind of motivation from the wider family to cash in now to be able to, as you said, a failing business, take the price, move on and then get on with their lives. I do think that with Joel and Avram, that if they could find a minority investor that's willing to put up the money for a new stadium, pump funds into the club and do all the stuff that they're not willing to do, they'd quite like to stick around and have their name on the door. There's some ego in that. But there's also some business sense. Like we feel that a sale is the most obvious outcome. But I think for the Glazers, you know, if they give the if they give Manchester United away, sell Manchester United, their profile as businessmen is kind of over. That's it. It's the end. Of, they're basically saying it's the end of our careers. And I'm not quite sure that they want that. Not quite sure. 
So let's see how that goes. You know, they don't want to be proper owners. They don't want to be involved with the club every day. They just want to be able to skim the money off the top still, don't they? So let's see what happens. I think, I think the whole Qatar what thing... What sense is still... does it make for an investor, though, to go and put, pump money into the club and keep the Glazers in charge when it's been a failing business? Makes absolutely no sense and, and does not mean that these things will happen or won't happen. I think the whole thing is it's about it's about partnerships at the end of the day. You know, if the Glazers could find a partner, say, say someone a little bit left field who doesn't have the money of a you know, Qatar royal family, but wants to be able to get into a football club and has billions in their pocket, might want a minority stake, you know, and what might want to be the face of Manchester United. These things are all about PR a lot of the time, Scott. So the Glazers don't want to be the face of United. They've always been that way. They want to just take the money. So they could bring someone in who kind of takes the flack visually. I think they'd quite like that. They'd love that, actually. So let's see what happens with the Qatar bid, because as I said, there's been a lot of conjecture around that. And that Qatar might offer the most, but actually don't want to offer anywhere near the money that the Glazers want. Really, the Glazers want this kind of big premium, and Qatar are kind of saying, well, hang on, Saudi bought uh, Newcastle the other day for, what was it, in the end, 500 million? I think it was, was it three? three, what, three 350, million? something like that. Something you like know? that, yeah. 350 million, bought a Premier League team who now might be in the Champions League next year. Why are we going to pay 6 billion for the, the one position above that? Or one position below, even. So there, there is a lot of that in terms of the football side of it. It's about you know what what are you actually really getting. Of course, with Man United over Newcastle, you're getting tons of other brand benefits. Manchester United, one of the biggest sports brands in the world, undoubtedly. So you are buying into that. It's just whether you want to spend that money in one go. The debt is another thing. Like, how do you restructure that? We hear that Ineos will soak that debt up. The debt will be removed from Manchester United. If that is the case. I think that puts Jim Ratcliffe in a very good position to take the club over. If he can put something together, he's he's operating with Goldman Sachs now. We understand that. If he can do something with that bank and with his, obviously, Ineos' vast wealth and vast profits, there's every chance that he could take the club over in a, in a more hostile way, that he could put a bid out there and says to the rest of the world, can you match our bid? Yes, Qatar can match your bid. Will they match your bid is a completely different question. Of course, it's all, you know, if buts speculation. Yes, if buts maybe speculation is the wrong word, I think, but nothing solid, nothing solid yet. So it's no. just a case of hearsay, posturing, these kinds of things, and we should know more over the next few weeks. Hopefully, anyway. Because... I think it's really interesting of how quiet. Some are like mm. silence tells you a lot of things sometimes because in this game of PR and spin, everyone wants their say. There's a lot of shouting, a lot of screaming. And the only people shouting and screaming at the moment are Qatar because Qatar love this whole image thing. They're winning the image game, aren't they? Already Man United fans are going, here's our saviors from Qatar. There's so much of that going on. However, I think there's a, a sizable amount of United fans going, we don't want to be the next Man City. So there's a balancing point here. I think Jim Ratcliffe's a happy medium somewhere, but I think he's keeping it quiet whilst we do know that he's operating with Goldman Sachs. So if he's, he's doing this, he's put that forward. Let's there has see been where that goes. On, on the debt you transfer you mentioned there, mm. does take it off the club. But I think I have seen some concerns from fans, and this probably with me as well, that the fact that the, the debt would be absorbed by Ineos or by another party and taken off United. I think there's a lot of fans who just want to see the debt completely wiped, and that wouldn't be doing that. 
But that would be lovely, wouldn't it, that the debt gets completely wiped. That doesn't really happen in the business world. There's a structure behind all debt. You get good debt and you've got bad debt. That's the truth. So people think that debt is just debt. Like on your credit card, you spend too much of your credit card. That's bad debt. No, I think in, in top level billionaire business is that debt is a normal part of structure. So Ineos could soak that debt up and take it away from Manchester in terms of a liability that then means that Manchester United become an entity, be able to borrow for the stadium, borrow for projects, be able to have bigger transfer uh, kitties and funds. That's called running a normal business, Scott. That's what normal businesses do. I know that United fans, so many want a sugar daddy. I don't. We saw last night against Barcelona. We don't need a sugar daddy. We just need to be run correctly, run the football club from within like a proper business and a proper football team. And you can, can, you can compete and you can compete now, not in five years, two years or whatever. Eric Ten Hag's got this team popping and you just need the right kind of businessmen behind the team just to make sure that you're doing all the right things, crossing the T's and dotting the I's, that you're a viable business. May not have a not viable business under the Glazers, I don't think we become any more viable just because the richest person owns you. It's about having the right person. Some interesting news. So uh, this has happened during the time of recording uh, within the last half an hour. And this is going to be pretty much across the board uh, reported. David Harrison has been appointed director of football operations at Manchester United to lead all operational aspects of the club's football activities. Right. I'll come to a question in a second, but United are still making appointments like this in the midst of an ownership change, which strikes me as a bit weird. He joins from Everton, where he held the same role for Everton. Uh, He will report to John Murta, football director, and be based Mm -hmm. at Carrington. Uh, with the op- responsibility for ensuring that our football operations run as smoothly and as effectively as possible, mm-hmm. including management of all football operations across men's, women's, and academy teams, including crucial areas such as football administration, team, team travel, and player support. I'm just running through what John Murter has said as well, see if it's interesting at all. He'll bring deep experience and knowledge to this important role and add further strength to the support structure we are building around our football teams to give our players and staff the best chance of success. Grew up in Bury, Greater Manchester. So from Gary Neville Country, Bury. Yes, David Harrison appointed director of football operations. Any initial reaction there, Rob? And is is it a little bit weird that these announcements are coming when the ownership could change within about two months? And well, what we, yeah, what everything could we be just, ripped up. What were you we just saying about posturing and the Glazers not really wanting to go? We've just literally done twenty minutes on it, haven't we? I think. I think the thing is, is that. This is the sweet spot that the club identified at the end of last season in that Ralph Ranick could have brought real value to a kind of director role or director football role, but he's not going to work under Murto. So that was a little bit of a kind of, oh, so what do you do? You call him a consultant and then you get rid of him. So that didn't work, did it? Because obviously I think someone like Ranick would want more control. This sweet spot, I think, is the kind of Darren Fletcher role. This is the kind of... Fletcher, I don't obviously know what his what his immediate role is going to be now at Manchester United. I did see him at the pit on pitch side there with uh, with Eric Ten Hag very recently, so he's obviously still in the picture. But I think that United did did see that that they needed someone more than Murto on the ground, someone that was actually more connected to the team and stuff that was going on in the uh, the women's game and all of the wider aspects of team function. Because Murto is now seen more as a boardroom guy. He's seen as someone that goes signs checks identify stuff and is the communication tool between between those part those parties 
John Murtaugh's an Everton guy, so don't be surprised why this guy's coming. Everton, the best run football club in the world. Of course, you know, <laughs> most successful team in the known universe. Fantastic team from Merseyside. The best team in Merseyside, obviously. And you got this guy coming in. And I think this is just to fill a hole. So, as you say, what does this say about the ownership? I think this, what this actually says about the ownership is that Glazers actually don't run a lot. They're not mm-hmm. even in the yeah. club. The, the, the people running the club are the guys that we know or talk about all the time. And Murto is one of them, isn't he? Richard Arnold is the other one. They're kind of running the ship. They're the ones steering everything. And then the Glazers just take their kind of profits and their dividends and wave to you from all the way over in Florida. So that's, I think, more of a, of a comment on this appointment is that United, it's just like business as usual. Um, and I think also there's a lot of posturing from the current regime in that middle ground of Arnold and Murto trying to prove to future owners that, hey, if you come in, we've got all this sorted already and you don't need to sack us because there is that. That is the problem. Man City obviously did that when they went there and when Tixi Bagirisky took over and it was very much like, oh, well, you're doing all right, aren't you? Yeah, but buy everyone, (laughs) sacked everyone and started their project, which is obviously what Qatar like to do. So I think there's a little bit of that here is that they're kind of just showing that We've had a good result in Barcelona. We're doing well in the Premier League. We're in the final of the League Cup. And operationally, we're great. There's the story. I think that's what they're trying to do at the moment. Obviously, I don't think that this really affects Manchester United on the pitch way too much. Yep. Throwing that in at the end of the show since it broke uh, during our recording. But we'll be back next Tuesday to talk about... The Leicester result, whatever it is, uh, will look ahead to the second leg of the Barcelona Europa League tie. And in just over a week, United play in a cup final at Wembley. So we'll see uh, where we stand there. Hopefully injuries start to clear up. Suggestions Anthony could be on his way back in. Scott McTominay, I think, as well. Martial. Martial. Casemiro suspensions over after this weekend as well. So... Yes. Uh... You get everyone fit, you're in a good place. Like, if this is how you're playing without everyone, then when you've got everyone back, you should go up another level. And just one for Harry. Arsenal going to Aston Villa, managed by Unai Emery on Saturday. And if United win their game, they have a lot, they have a hell of a lot of experience to challenge in a title race. Casemiro, Varane, etc., etc. I just looked at Man City's fixtures, Rob, and I thought they could end up winning. 95% of them for the end of the season. Anyway, that's that's another conversation. That's the fear, isn't it, with City, is that like now I think they kind of just sorted a few things out that were that were worrisome and bothersome for them. Um, the, the minute they sort the whole Haaland thing out and Haaland starts scoring goals properly again, like if they can get back to that, then I think obviously they are they are favourites to win the title as things stand. More talk about title tilts and this kind of thing. If if Man United can beat Leicester, let's let's just take it. It's a big test. This is a big test of Man United past, isn't it? Because I think this is the kind of game where you'd have had a banana skin and it feels like that now. Maybe Man United will prove us wrong that they will take this task on and just skip through it. Subscribe if you haven't already. Apple, Google, Spotify for the audio. We're on YouTube as well. Subscribe to our channel on YouTube, please, as well. Episodes twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays. Leave a comment for us, like the video, uh, and get in touch with us on Twitter at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at Promise and MU for the show. A long one today, 57 minutes nearly. Uh, plenty to digest, plenty to talk about, but we'll see you next week, next Tuesday, for more Promised Land uh, Manchester United podcast. Thanks for listening.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.